and welcome to Theology with an English Accent. I'm David. I'm currently on retreat at the Benedictine Monastery in Oceanside, Prince of Peace Abbey, but I wanted to get out the video for today. So in the previous episode, episode 5, we looked at the different ways in which people reacted to Paul's imprisonment. And in today's episode, we're going to look at the dilemma that Paul faced. Let's look at the text. Yes, and I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance, as it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not be ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If it is be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all, for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus, because of my coming to you again. Only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whether I come to see you or am absent, I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear omen to them of their destruction, but of your salvation, and from God. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now hear to be mine. So Paul begins with joy. He says, yes, I shall rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. Even though he's in captivity, Paul is still joyful. And he expresses his confidence, both in the prayers of the Philippians and in the help of the Spirit. It's worth noting that Paul never shrinks from asking for the prayers of others. And Paul knows that the Philippians pray for him, a sure sign of their friendship. We might trip over his phrase, the Spirit of Jesus Christ. We're more often used to hearing Spirit of God or the Holy Spirit. But Paul is just using those terms interchangeably here. Now he says that all of this will turn out for his deliverance. What might he mean by that? Well, he could be talking about his deliverance from earthly prison, earthly captivity. He could be talking about his heavenly salvation, or even more generally, that this will turn out for his own good. But I think it's a distinct possibility he's alluding to Job. Because Job suffered greatly, and he was surrounded by people who were telling him that this was punishment from God for unconfessed sin. Now, if this is what Paul has in mind, He's comparing himself to Job and saying that like Job, God will vindicate his innocence. Paul goes on, he says, As it is my eager expectation and hope that I shall not at all be ashamed, but that with full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honoured in my body, whether by life or by death. Now, given his current sufferings and circumstances, Paul knows that it's a temptation to shrink from proclaiming the gospel through fear, through disheartenment. But Paul hopes this will not happen, and that whether he lives or whether he dies, 
Christ is going to be glorified. What a wonderful attitude to have. And he goes on and says, For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. For Paul, life is Jesus Christ. Jesus is the focus of his life. He gives it meaning. He gives it purpose. And to die is the greatest blessing because it means union with Christ. And this is where we come to Paul's dilemma. For if it is to be life in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me. Yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and to be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. So this is the tug of war that Paul is experiencing. On the one hand, life. If he remains alive, then he can continue to preach. He can continue to lead people to Jesus. He can serve the church and look after the Philippian church. But on the other hand, if he dies, he gets to be with Christ. He gets to win his martyr's crown. And he, there's a tension between these two things. Now, he seems to have a preference for martyrdom. He says that's far better. But he knows that if he stays, it's more necessary. It's more necessary that he stays and looks after other Christians and the Philippians in particular. And he goes on and says, Convinced of this, I know that I shall remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy in the faith, so that in me you may have ample cause to glory in Christ Jesus because of my coming to you again. So Paul seems to think that he's not going to be martyred. As attractive as that option looks to him, he knows that it's better that he remain and serve the church. And this is a reason for the Philippians to rejoice. And Paul wants to stay for their progress and joy in the faith. As I've said before, the Philippian church was doing really well. They had very few issues, but Paul still wants more for them. He wants them to progress in the faith and to grow in joy. Only let the manner of your life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. Now the phrase that Paul uses here for manner of life is the Greek word polituomai, which means to conduct oneself as a citizen. Now if you remember back at the beginning uh, in the introduction video, I spoke about how Philippi was a Roman colony. This made it special. This meant that it was full of very proud Roman citizens. So when Paul says, conduct yourselves as, as a citizen, he's saying, I don't just want you to be a good citizen of Rome. I want you to live a life that's worthy, that live in such a way that people can see that you're a citizen, not just of Rome, but of the kingdom of God. And he goes on and says, so whether I come to you, and he goes on to say, so whether I come and see you or I'm absent, I may hear that you stand firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel, and not frightened in anything by your opponents. This is a clear omen to them of their destruction, but of your salvation and that from God. So Paul says whether he comes to them soon or not, he wants to hear that they're standing united. He says, firm, one mind, side by side. He wants them to cast aside any petty grievances that, that are at work within the community. And towards the end of this letter, we'll see that there was at least one dispute. But Paul 
wants them to be united, and he wants them to be united because of their opponents. He doesn't want them to be afraid. Now, these opponents were Roman citizens who were pagans. But Paul says that if they stand united, it's going to be an omen. It's going to be a sign to them that ultimately the church is going to win. And Paul concludes chapter 1 with this sentence. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ you should not only believe in him, but also suffer for his sake, engaged in the same conflict which you saw and now here to be mine. So Paul says that the Philippians are undergoing the same persecution that they saw Paul experience when he first founded their church in Philippi back in Acts 16. And they're experiencing the same persecution that Paul is currently experiencing in Rome, being under house arrest. But the really challenging part of this sentence is Paul says that not only is faith a gift, but so it is to suffer for Christ. It's a gift. Now, he doesn't explain too much more about that, but we find out in other parts of Scripture that suffering cleanses us from selfishness. Suffering gives us an opportunity to show the gospel to the world, to allow Jesus Christ to work through us. And suffering also allows us to share in his redemptive work. That whatever we're going through, we can unite it to the sufferings of Christ. That our suffering has meaning and value. I'd like to end with two questions. The first one concerns death. As we read at the beginning, Paul saw death as a blessing since it brought him into union with Christ. Do you view death in the same way? Now, when Paul talks about he wanted to depart and be with Christ, he used the word analuo, which was used to describe the striking of a camp. So an army collecting up their camp and marching onwards. And it was also used to describe the departure of a ship, the pulling up of an anchor, the throwing off of the moor ropes, and the raising of a sail. All of these convey an image of leaving your current dwelling and heading on towards your destination. Paul saw this world as temporary, a place he was passing through on his way into heaven. Do you view death in the same way? Do you view it as that gateway? And for the second question, another difficult one, on suffering. Paul says that suffering for Christ is a gift. Do you view it in the same way? When you suffer for Christ, be it inconvenienced by your faith, experiencing mockery from your friends or co-workers, do you view that first and foremost as an opportunity to cleanse yourself from selfishness, to demonstrate the gospel to the world, to allow the power of Christ to work through you? Do you see it as an opportunity to share in Christ's redemptive work? So a couple of difficult questions there. But we've now finished chapter one, and in the next episode, we will pick up in chapter two. So until next time, in the words of Venerable Archbishop Fulton Sheen, God love you.